0: Last week, we started a series in the book of James of the New Testament called A Good Life. Devin spoke on how one aspect of living a good life is having patience and endurance in the face of suffering. This week, as we continue our series, we're looking at what does it mean to have a good life with regard to wisdom? What is a truly wise person? And how do we become wise? I would venture to say that most of us in this room would agree we want to be known as wise people. Some of us may not want the gray hair that often accompanies wisdom, or just not yet, but wisdom itself is a desirable trait. And when we think about wisdom, we often think about it in regard to decision-making. Which house should I buy? Or school should I attend? Or job should I take? Or which relationship should I pursue? And that is one aspect of wisdom. But in our passage today, James, the writer of this little book in the New Testament, and Jesus' brother, puts a different spin on it. He describes wisdom not mostly in the context of personal decision-making, but rather as peace within a community. A good life is found in having good relationships with others, with those we work with, go to school with, live with, and rub shoulders with. And as I was wondering this week why James was making such a shift in this passage. From talking about wisdom to talking about peace. I realized we don't usually ask for wisdom when we're in agreement with others. We don't usually hear people say, I just need wisdom on what to do here. My wife and I are both totally in agreement on this house to buy. Please pray for us. Not, it's not like that. Wisdom is required when there's a difference of opinion, a disagreement, or different values held by key parties. That's when wisdom is often called for. And what do we do when there are differences of opinion? In his book, Crucial Conversations, Joseph Grenny draws on his research of organizational effectiveness and suggests that often, When there is a difference of opinion, particularly if the stakes are high and there are strong emotions attached, we can tend towards one of two extremes. We can tend either towards silence by avoiding the issue, withdrawing or masking it, or violence by controlling or labeling or attacking the other person. Broadly speaking now, sometimes we tend towards silence. We don't want to rock the boat. We don't want to raise the issue or speak up at the meeting. We hope it'll go away. We know people who have won arguments and lost friends in the process. We don't want to do that. So we just don't have the argument. The trouble with that, Granny says, is that if we don't talk it out, we will act it out. If we don't raise the issue, eventually it will seep out in other ways we've all seen this happen. On the other extreme, sometimes we tend towards violence, maybe not physical violence, but verbal violence, verbal attacks. Instead of keeping quiet, we speak, we fly off the handle. We get overly defensive, short-tempered, strongly opinionated, and unwilling to change those opinions. Now, I realize this is oversimplifying it a bit, but I think you get the point. Either we lose the argument, namely by not having it, and keep the friend, peace at all costs, or we win the argument and lose the friend in the process. Neither of these strategies is very effective. But there is a third option. James describes it for us in the passage we're going to look at today. It's a mediating space where we can be honest about what is really going on, but in a way that strengthens the relationship. Doesn't our world need that today? What if each one of us in this room had the ability to communicate honestly, honestly, What needs to be said, when it needs to be said, how it needs to be said in a way that builds up relationships with others. Can you imagine how much our world would be transformed from the micro-level disagreements in homes and workplaces to the macro-level need of peace in this city? And it all starts with a disposition, this kind of wisdom. James is gonna give seven character traits of real wisdom and both extremes of silence and violence are gonna get called on the carpet here. Listen to what real wisdom is from James chapter three, verses 13 to 18. And today, instead of having you read the words on the screen, I want you to just listen to the verses as I say them. And if it helps, you can close your eyes uh, while while I do that. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good deeds, by deeds done in the humility that come from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come from God, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace will reap a harvest of righteousness. You want to be known for being wise, James says. Show it by how you live, not by what you say. Wisdom isn't evidenced in eloquent rhetoric or expert knowledge, not that there's anything particularly wrong with those things. It's manifested in how someone lives. Now, we know this. When you apply for a job... You don't just hire someone or you shouldn't based on what they say about themselves in their resume or in their interview. You check their references. You want to see if they're really who they claim to be. Do they really exhibit those qualities in the workplace on a consistent, reliable basis? This emphasis on how we live is consistent with James' book overall. James is an action guy. It's not that words don't matter to him. He's going to spend a lot of time later on in the book talking about our speech and the power of words. It's just that words alone aren't enough. Actions matter. We've all known people who say the same thing time after time and their actions don't change. That can be frustrating. When someone doesn't change their behavior, you have to wonder if they really mean what they're saying. My youth pastor, now from years ago, used to say it like this. Your actions speak so loudly, I can't hear what you're saying. That's what James is saying here. You want to be wise? Don't just talk wisely. Live wisely. And specifically, verse 13 says, by deeds done in humility that comes from wisdom. Wait a minute. Humility? That seems counterintuitive. You would think a wise person would know it all, would be confident in their position. But real wisdom comes from a place of humility, not of pride. For James continues in verse 14 to 16. If you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come from God, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and every evil practice. Before describing what real wisdom is, James is going to describe what it is not. These two nouns, envy and ambition, are not necessarily in and of themselves bad, That word envy is actually the the word zeal or passion, and it's used both positively and negatively in the Bible. Even Jesus is said to have had zeal, this same word, when he cleared out the money changers in the temple. But like any good trait, it can have a shadow side. And when passion gets combined with sharpness or bitterness and ambition with selfishness, it is always a bad thing. And so, Philippians 2, verses 3 and 4 warns us, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but also to the interest of others. What's it like being around a person who has no regard for others? They bulldoze or steamroll others. They may not listen to others' input. They may only value others if they can serve as a pawn for their intention to climb a ladder. And heaven help you if you stand in their way. You see, the branches of envy and selfish ambition produce bad fruit every time. Verse 16, for where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. Just as oxygen, a fuel source, and heat produce fire every time, so too do envy and selfish ambition produce all kinds of destructive behaviors every time. The Apostle Paul tells the church in Corinth he's afraid he's not going to like what he sees when he comes to visit them. I fear that there may be quarreling, jealousy, the word zeal, outbursts of anger, factions, slander, gossip, Arrogance and disorder. The book of wisdom in the Old Testament, Proverbs, says it more succinctly in chapter 13, verse 10 where there is strife, there is pride. The root of so many of our disagreements is pride. And James says, hey, don't fool yourself. You can think you're all that, and you're, you know the best, and you're the expert. But if you're constantly at odds with others, you are not displaying God's wisdom. On the contrary, he gives us three progressively negative words, earthly, kind of a neutral word, unspiritual, not at all from God's spirit, and downright demonic. These words actually reinforce what we learn from leadership literature. What takes down leaders or companies? Selfish ambition, arrogance. When people start to think that the rules that apply to others don't apply to them. When they're focused on looking out for their own success. When their focus is on making themselves look great rather than their team or their company. My dad grew up in Boston, so naturally he's a Celtics fan. And more specifically, a Larry Bird fan. But it's not just the Boston connection that makes my dad love this Hall of Fame basketball player. My dad will tell you to this day, in fact, he just visited a few weeks ago and he said this, the reason he loves Larry Bird isn't that he was known for the most points made in a game. It was for the most passes. To paraphrase sports analysts, some players are out to make themselves look great. Larry Bird was out to make his teammates look great. When we're focused on making ourselves look great, bad behavior is sure to follow. But God's way, a good life, is very different. Listen to the picture painted here, verse 17. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. I want to take a look at each of these seven adjectives because they paint a picture of true wisdom that is really desirable. They represent a third way I referenced a few minutes ago that'll help us avoid either extreme so detrimental to relationship and to unity. Wisdom from God is first of all pure, uncontaminated, picture water that's been triple filtered and cleansed of impurities. The motives driving what this person is saying is not coming out of a desire for their own advancement, but out of care and concern for the other person or the group. Just this week, I was talking with a high-level manager of an organization, and she was telling me how she encourages honest feedback in her workplace, both supervisor to employer and employee to employee. And as she trains her employees, one of the guidelines she offers her team as they seek to talk honestly about performance is this, is your feedback for the other person coming out of a good place Is it to help the organization improve in effectiveness and to help the other person get better at their job? Or is it to make yourself look good? And if it is, maybe you shouldn't say it. The second word James uses to describe wisdom is peace-loving or peaceable. This word, peace-loving, is often misunderstood. This isn't so much about keeping the peace as in don't rock the boat. It's about working for peace in the midst of treacherous waters. And peace or unity cannot be reached without honest dialogue. In other words, this verse is not encouraging us not to say the hard things we need to say. On the contrary, it's telling us we must say what needs to be said in order to help the relationship flourish and deepen. Elsewhere we're told in the Bible in Ephesians 4 quit lying and speak truthfully to one another. We cannot have genuine community without this kind of truth talking. But there's some qualifications for how we speak the truth and work towards peace. The third adjective is considerate or gentle in other translations. Not harsh, not rude, Yes, work towards peace, talk through the issues so you can get to the bottom of it, but do it respectfully, kindly, with regard to the other person. And as we speak what needs to be said, whatever that is, we are to do it in a submissive way, our fourth adjective. Now that is such a hot button word for some people. I prefer translations other than the NIV on this one. It means willing to yield, open to reason, willing to be persuaded. When we're having these conversations with others, the Bible says we need to have them with a humble attitude, And I-could-be-wrong kind of attitude. We say our opinion and we say it respectfully, but we also do it holding it loosely. Knowing the other person may raise an issue that's legitimate or fair. And so even though these conversations require courage to speak honestly, they also require humility to listen carefully to what the other person is saying. James is going to give us that exact advice to his readers as we'll see when he's helping them deal with conflict. And he tells them, each one of you should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. The idea that true wisdom is is found in being humble enough to listen to others, shows up again and again in the book of Proverbs. Chapter 1, verse 5 says it like this. The wise listen and become wiser still. And I mentioned Proverbs thirteen ten earlier. Where there is strife, there is pride. But wisdom is found in those who take advice. That doesn't mean we always listen to what someone has to say. We may need to filter it. But our overall posture must be one of listening and humility, open to reason. Fifth, real wisdom is full of mercy and good fruit. Whenever these conversations don't happen with pure motives, with the goal of peace, with gentle, respectful language, with humility and a willingness to be persuaded, we must have grace with one another. We must forgive. Give the person a fresh start. Sixth, it is impartial. We're to be described this way by each person we come in contact with, not just by some that are easier for us to deal with. We're to be consistent in these character traits, not hot one day, cold the next. People shouldn't have to wonder which Amy are they gonna get today? but stable. Seventh, and finally, we're to be sincere. If the adjective consider or gentle convicts the person on the extreme who's prone to win the argument and lose the friend, then this description convicts the person on the opposite extreme who wants to have no argument at all to keep the friend. We've got to say what we mean. We cannot be hypocritical We cannot sit in the conversation acting like we agree when in reality we don't. In business literature, the phrase used here is don't have the meeting after the meeting. Don't say what you really mean to a small group of people in your family or in your workplace or wherever when you aren't willing to say that to the people who most need to hear that. This is so hard for many of us church people. We suffer, as John Ortberg says, from terminal niceness. We want to keep the peace at all costs, but real wisdom isn't found in that. Remember, James concludes in verse 18, we're to be about working for peace. Peacemakers who sow in peace will reap a harvest of righteousness. What he means here is work for peace, work for justice and righteousness, work for doing what's right. Don't brush it under the carpet, or look the other way, or stay unengaged. We're reminded of Jesus' words here, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. But do it in a peaceful way. Do it gently. Do it lovingly. Do it humbly. So let's get real practical. Think for a moment about a disagreement you're having right now with someone in your home, in your school, wherever. Think about which extreme you have a tendency toward and think about the description James gives us of real wisdom, that middle space of having a conviction but offering it humbly and graciously. I wonder if we could ask ourselves these questions as we engage in the crucial conversations we may need to have, first, is my motive rooted in love for the other person? or is it rooted in pride? Now we will never have a hundred percent more pure motives this side of heaven. We're just saying, you know, when you will come, then I will stand faultless before the throne and not a moment before we're never going to have 100% pure motives. John Calvin said, I've never had a selfless thought since I was born. And it's true. So we can't expect to eradicate pride and you're going to drive yourself nuts if you try to do that. But we can be aware of it and we can try not to act out of it. And we can certainly minimize it. Second, am I truly seeking to bring unity to the group or organization? Will this conversation move us towards peace and resolution? Are these the right people to be having this conversation with? Or is this gossip slander? Third. Am I speaking what I need to say respectfully and gently? Fourth. Am I truly listening to the other person? Open to being persuaded by them? Fifth. Will I forgive when I have been hurt? Sixth, am I behaving this way with each person in my life? And seventh, am I speaking what I really think or am I speaking being hypocritical? I'm not suggesting at all that this will solve every disagreement, but I think our disagreements will be minimized and we will leave less wake of destruction in their path If we ask ourselves these questions. Some of us hear a checklist like this and think, I can't do all that. I might have one or two of those, but all seven? That's impossible. And we'd be right. But I have good news for each one of us today. James 1, verses 5 to 8. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God Who gives, are you ready for this? Generously to all without finding fault. And it will be given him. You and I are not the source of wisdom. God is. And guess what? He's not stingy. He's not cheap in dispensing it. And he doesn't give it grudgingly. He loves to help. He has an unlimited supply of this stuff. This is who he is, John 1 tells us. Jesus Christ, full of grace and truth. And it is his joy to share it. And better yet, and better yet, he does it without finding fault. When I ask God to help me in these relationships, he is not saying, oh, Amy, when are you gonna get it together? You've been asking for this for so long. How long are you gonna keep doing this? No, he gives generously Graciously, always, because that's who he is. So, when verse 8 says, When you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. We need to hear that. It takes time for what is sown to grow into fruit, it won't happen overnight. But we can take comfort in the assurance that not only is our God capable of giving us these resources, but he's very willing, more than willing. These are prayers he loves to answer. He loves seeing his children look more and more like him, growing into the fruit of his character. So today, the call for us is to become people who are wise, People whose relationships are marked by truth as well as grace. People who are humble, courageous, and committed to peace enough that we are willing to say what needs to be said, when it needs to be said, at whatever cost, how it needs to be said for the good of the group, maintaining a posture of listening to others and being willing to be persuaded by them. Can you imagine Can you imagine, just think of the news, the result that would be if this were our disposition in our homes, on our streets, in our workplaces, in this city, in our country. Our world could use peace right now. As we close, I'm going to give us a moment of silence to ask the one who can actually give it to us. (laughs) Which of these traits do I need to grow in? Which of these traits do I need more reflected in the conflicts I'm facing right now? And then ask God for those things. So I'm going to give you a few moments of silence, and then I will close us in prayer. Hear now these prayers, O God. Jesus Christ, the one who is full of grace and truth, who is now in us, Christ in us, the hope of glory, may your spirit enable our lives to be characterized more by pure motives, a desire for peace, gentle words, humble dispositions, an openness to correction, a consistency and honesty in our communication. And oh God, may that lead to peace. May the fruit of our lives lead to greater peace in our relationships for our sake, because this is a good life. And for your glory through Jesus.